Pastor Xavier Reese with a simple reminder about the ongoing provision of our Heavenly Father. As you and I are given provisions for our life, it is God who gives us those things. Stop and look and think of your life, where you've come from, who you were before Christ. Now, how did you do that? Who equipped you? To who do you attribute it to? Your education? Your family? Your perseverance? No, God has made those provisions. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Now it's been said, where God guides, God provides. Well, today, as he continues his series from the book of Leviticus, Pastor Xavier reminds us that as Christians, it's only God we can rely on for continuous guidance and provisions in the ministry. Here he is with today's message, The Consecration of Aaron. Leviticus chapter 8. Now, there are three things that kind of stand out in the consecration of Aaron and his sons. We're not going to look at every verse of chapter 8, but there are some that we're going to center on. But there are three things. First of all, we want to look at the call for consecration, and that is verse 1 through 5 of chapter 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, the anointing oil, the bull as a sin offering, two rams as a basket of unleavened bread, and gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the assembly was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is what the Lord commanded to be done. Notice, first of all, that God ordained Aaron and his sons in verses 1 and the first portion of 2. Men are called from among men, but not by men. They are called by God. It has to be God who anoints and calls the men. Very important. No one but God. Next, we want to look at the provisions in consecration, which are found in verses 6 through 9, and then we'll look at verse 13 also. He says, Then Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water, and he put the tunic on him, girded him with the sash, clothed him with the robe, and put ephod on him, and girded him with the intricately woven a band of ephod, and with it he tied the ephod on him. Then he put the breastplates on him. He put on the Urim and the Thummim and the breastplate, and he put the turban on his head, also on the, on the turban in its front. He put the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Here we have the provisions in the consecration. The details for all this instruction is given in Exodus chapter 28, 29, and chapter 39. God gave exactly the design, the pattern. He he anointed the, the craftsman to do it. God did everything. Notice first in verse 6 that Moses was to wash their bodies. It was a ceremonial washing an answer to his good conscience that God is holy, he was sinful, and before he could come to God, there has to be a cleansing, a giving of oneself over to God. We are washed by the word of God continuously. 
You are cleansed by the words I have spoken unto you. Jesus will provide and present to himself a bride without wrinkle or any such thing by the washing of the water by the word. Ephesians 5.26 Notice Moses was to dress Aaron after the washing. Verses 7 through 9. You've got various articles that are enumerated here. The tunic was an embroidered linen garment that covered Aaron's nakedness down to his knees. Then you have the sash that went around his waist. Some say it was 48 feet long, so it went around long, many times, tied you together. Then you have the robe. The robe is said to be of one piece, seamless. Isn't it interesting? Jesus Christ at the cross, they threw dice for his garment because it was seamless and they couldn't divide it. He was our high priest. It was of blue to remind the color of heaven. It came down to the knee. And on the bottom of it were pomegranates and bells. So when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies once a year, and we'll get to that in chapter 16, the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, they would tie a rope to his leg, and they would send him in. And as long as they could hear that bell ringing, that meant the priest was all right and God was pleased with him. There was no sin. But if that priest entered into that office that day and he did not have atonement for his sin or he was not doing something according to the prescribed fashion, then God would wipe him out. They would pull him out because nobody could go into the holy or the holy of holies. And they would get the next high priest and tie him and he would be scared as he would go in. Okay? And so as long as you heard the bell, everything was cool. But the minute that bell was silenced, that means the priest was dead. Next, you had the ephod, a type of vest joining in two pieces from the front and the back. It would be joined at the shoulders with two onyx stones. But what's interesting about these onyx stones is that on each shoulder would be six of the tribes of Israel by name. The priest was to enter in before God bearing the weight and the sins of the nation. He was the mediator. He was the go-between. Isaiah says that the governments were placed upon the shoulders of Christ. He took on the burden. He took on the whole care of the world upon himself. Next, you have the breastplate. The breastplate was sort of a sling that you put your arms through and it had straps from the chest back to the shoulders. And in this breastplate, you would have three rows of fours of the names of the tribe of Israel over his heart. And so here again, the priest would be bearing the, the, the nation of Israel upon his heart, close to his heart, just like it would be close to the heart of God. Because he was a type of Christ. He was a type of a mediator. And so here you have all this symbolism, and yet in this breastplate you had chains coming also from the center here out to the shoulders of gold. The ephah would be underneath. Then in the middle there would be a pouch, as we're going to see, where the next articles, the Urim and the Thummim, would be put in there, which was a way by which to know the mind of God. I mean, an elaborate uh, outfit that God had given the pattern for. Remember, men did not make this up in fashion of the day, but God gave this pattern to Moses up on the mount. 
Everything, the tabernacle, everything was according to God's prescription. This was not man's imagination. None at all. As I said, the Urim and the Thummim, they were next. It was to be put in the breastplate, a pouch. The words mean light and perfections. You find them in Exodus 28 and Exodus 39. You find it through the book of Judges and in 1 Samuel at times when they would bring the ephod so they would know the mind of God because the Urim and the Thummim were in there. Some believe maybe it was a black stone and a white stone and whichever one God allowed to pull out, then that was the way God answered. We just don't know. But we do know that it was a way by which the priest knew and understood the mind and the will of God. And so here God is outfitting him with all these things. Nothing is of his own, but everything is provided by God. The turban is next. It was cloth wrapped around the head. And then on this cloth would be a miter, the golden plate, which is next, which would be all of gold. And on that plate would be holiness unto the Lord. As he went into the holy place, in the most holy place, it was to remind him that God was holy and that if he wasn't right, God would wipe him out. God could not be approached by just anybody, any old way. I get concerned about today. People think they can come to God any old way and in any old form. Now, I'm glad for the ministry that the Calvary chapels are. They're not real formal, real traditional. But there's always a danger for us to become so commonplace with God, isn't there? We're to revere God. He is holy. God doesn't care whether you wear a suit or whether you wear Levi's or you wear shorts. He doesn't care about that. He doesn't care whether you have short hair, long hair, or no hair. He cares about your heart. That's what it's all about. And so here you have all was provided by God as a picture of Jesus Christ. Remember in Revelation chapter 1, verse 13, you have the risen, the glorified Christ there. And how does he stand? He stands there as the high priest with all his vestment on. <laughs> glorified. Completely. And so we know that Jesus was after that most excellent priesthood. And so he has an unchangeable priesthood, the book of Hebrews says. Give that to the Mormons. There's no other priest outside of Jesus Christ. With him, the priesthood ended. So I have a problem with Roman Catholicism also. A priest that hears your confession. A priest that goes to God for you. No way. You go to God for yourself. Now I can pray with you. I can pray for you. But it's not because you cannot go to God. You have access to God if you're a Christian, if you're born again. Jesus is your high priest. And you are to come boldly before the throne of grace to find grace and help in time of need. He's a merciful, compassionate high priest. He knows our weaknesses. He took on flesh. And so it is he who is the ultimate priest and here is only in type of that to come. And Jesus said, I'm here to make the payment. Cash. In total. No more IOUs. My blood will cover anything and everything. And so the provisions in consecration must be of God again. As you and I are given provisions for our life, it is God who gives us those things. Stop and look and think of your life, where you've come from, how far He's brought you, what He's brought you out of, 
who you were before Christ. Now, how did you do that? Who equipped you? To who do you attribute it to? Your education? Your family? Your perseverance? Your diligence? No. God has made those provisions. Notice now that he moves on to the anointing at consecration. The first verses we want to look at is verses 10 through 12. Then Moses took the anointing oil, anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it, and sanctified them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, anointing the altar and all its utensils and the laborer and its base, and sanctified them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to sanctify him. Notice first the tabernacle. And every furnishing was to be anointed with oil. The oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture. There are many symbolisms for the Holy Spirit. Oil is one of them. The anointing with oil identifies what and who God has chosen. God chose this box-like building to abide. These furnishings to manifest himself through, to be worshipped. Why? He's, he's God. He chose it. And now he, they had to anoint every instrument, the whole tabernacle, as well as the priest. Saul and David were anointed, the same word, with oil by the prophet Samuel. Meaning God has chosen you. God has chosen to work through you. God has chosen you to lead. And none of it was of their own doing. As a matter of fact, Saul didn't even want to be king. Now we can get into argument whether that was true humility or just hypocrisy. And there's an argument for both sides. But David, he was just a freckle-faced, red-headed kid out there taking care of the stinky sheep and Nobody even thought he was the one to be anointed. Surely all of his brothers who are taller and more handsome than he. But God says, no, Samuel. God does not look upon the outward appearance as man does, but God looks upon the heart. Ask him if he has any more sons. Yeah, I got one more. Little shepherd boy. Well, why don't you call him in? The men of David walked in. God says, that's him, Sam. Get him. <laughs> Anoint him. But notice that in David's life, the anointing came early in his life, but he did not enter his office till way many years later. God can call you, but it doesn't mean he's going to anoint you for that calling for a while. It's not always right away. Forty years Moses was in the wilderness. Forty years in Egypt. He was 80 years old. What if God says, I've called you, man, but I'm not going to use you till you're 80? Are you willing to wait? Are you willing to put 80 years of preparation so when you get there you're effective? Or are you going to just waste it? And then when he says, now let's do it, he can't do it through you. What if he calls you 40 years in the wilderness? Is that too insignificant for you? What if he calls you to the ministry of just cleaning toilets for the rest of your life in churches? Picking up cigarette butts? Running tapes where nobody will ever see you? You see, every one of us have to be open to what God has. 
Notice also that the high priest Aaron was to be anointed with oil in verse 12. Exodus 29.7 gives us the detail. But the pouring of the oil was to remind him of the power to accomplish the task, never to be attributed to the outward beauty of the garments. How we get so enamored with the vessel. The power was in the anointing of God upon the individual, not the outward vesture, not the outward preparation. I would rather sit under a man who has been called and anointed by God, by the Spirit of God, and he knows no Hebrew, knows no Greek, and I can learn more from him under the anointing than under a scholar of Greek and Hebrew without the anointing. Any day. But you get a person who's anointed of God and he gets some education or gets some preparation, then he's a greater instrument for God. But God takes care of that. You cannot be effective without God. And the minute people get puffed up and people start walking in the flesh, you know what? God will remove his anointing. And you're left to yourself. And then you find out that you can't do absolutely nothing. It has to be of God. Zechariah 4, 6 says, Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's got to be by the Spirit of God. Notice also the high priest and his sons were to be anointed with the blood of the ram uh, of consecration. You get that from verse 22 down to 24. He took the blood and he anointed them because they were also in the priesthood office. Not high priests, but just for the service of their tabernacle. And he anointed what? He says the right ear, the right thumb, and the right great toe with blood. Why? What a strange ritual. Well, the right ear was to consecrate his ear to the voice of God. To ever hear the voice of God. The right thumb was to do the service and the work of God. And the right great toe to walk in the ways of God. The right is always a position of honor and of power, of privilege. This man was to be set apart for God. Let the blood of Christ be set upon your right ear, your right thumb, and your right big toe. That you might hear the voice of God. That you might walk in the ways of God. And that you might do the work of God. Set apart for Him. Not for anybody else. I can find no better illustration than you being set apart for your wife or your husband. Totally. You do not belong to yourself. You belong to your mate. 100%. And you are set apart for them. For no husband or wife would ever agree for you to go out on a date once in a while. Once a year. No way. You are set apart. All of you hopefully have dogs, cats. Now you uh, sanctify certain things for your cat and dog. You set apart a bowl. And nobody eats out of that except Rober. Okay? Um, hopefully. Okay? Um, now, are you going to respect your dog more than God? You are his sanctified vessel. Nobody's to have you apart from him. Nobody. 
you belong to him. As I said, the sin offering and the burnt offering were offered before from verses 14 to 21. But notice also the high priest and his sons were not to take the anointing of God as a common charge. Verses 30 through 36, Moses took some of the anointing oil and the blood, sprinkled Aaron and his sons in their garments, sanctified them. Verse 31 says they were to boil the flesh and eat of it there. Then in verse 33, he told them not to go outside the tabernacle door, the meeting for seven days, for it was for their consecration. And he did as the Lord had commanded in verse 34. Here you have now Moses sprinkling and anointing both Aaron and his sons with the blood and the anointing oil. They were not to take this as a common ritual. It was distinct. They were not to think of it as just a high point in their life and then to go on in a mediocre life. They were set apart for service. They were to understand that they were set apart for God 100%. But notice also Moses instructed them to eat the fellowship offering. Being one with God. They had been consecrated, now they were one with God. Now they were entering in. Moses was moving out from a mediator, they were moving in. And notice their obedience to abide for seven days, keeping the charge and sacrifice, lest they die. Verse 35, 36 says that. They were to offer regular sacrifices during this time. Exodus 29, verse 35 through 38 says. For seven days, all set apart for God. Have you ever set yourself apart for God for a day or two? Just give yourself to God in prayer and in seeking Him, waiting upon Him. It's important that you tune your ear to God. That He may direct and guide your life. We have many things that we have need of and we need to go to Him. And so here you have the anointing of consecration is of God. Not of man. Everything here is of God. It's not Moses' desire. It is not Aaron's desire. It is God's call. How about you? How about the anointing on your life? Is it of God? Are you responding to it? Do you think it is a commonplace thing or do you honor it? Do you revere it lest you die? You say, well, that doesn't say that, X. Oh, yes, it does. 1 Corinthians 11, God says, God kills some who didn't honor him. God does kill Christians. I wonder how many funerals we've gone to that God has killed Christians. I don't know. Thank God for that, huh? But we should keep it in heart. The call for consecration. And everything here applies to you and myself. It is every believer, for we are a kingdom of priests, 1 Peter 2.5 says, to offer up spiritual sacrifices. Every one of us. The provisions and consecration, you are complete in Christ Jesus, and Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, Colossians 2, 9 and 10. Everything is given to you pertaining to life and godliness, Peter says. You lack nothing. The anointing of consecration, the Holy Spirit has been endowed to you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed by it, and the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed you from all sin. Ephesians 1.13 and 1 John 1.7. What do you lack? If you lack anything, it's one thing. You ready for it? The will. Nothing but the will. Everything has been done. You are consecrated unto God. You have been anointed for God. You have been given all the provisions by God. God wants you to live a consecrated life unto Him. You are distinct from people who do not know God. 
and you will be used to reach people who do not know God. For you, in a way, stand as a go-between, between those who know not God and those who do. I pray that we all respond to it and are faithful. Pastor Xavier Reese with the simple truth regarding Christ's payment for our sins. And you can request a copy of today's study from the book of Leviticus called The Consecration of Aaron. We're making it available on CD for just $4. And this will also include what Pastor Xavier shared with us the last time we were together. The title to ask for once again is The Consecration of Aaron. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths. 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make a request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And it's important that you mention the call letters of this station when you contact us. Now, the Word of God is active and alive, but how should that impact us? Join Pastor Xavier Reese next time as he brings us the simple truth about the Bible and its influence on our lives. Hope to see you then. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California www.calvarychapelpasadena.com